Welcome. This is an audio recording of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Jim Falk, President of the Council. The Council is a nonprofit membership organization dedicated to engaging the public in an exploration of global issues and foreign affairs, and we produce over 80 public events each year. To learn more about us or to become a member, visit dfwworld.org. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of Haynes & Boone, LLP. We hope you enjoy it. We're very fortunate to have with us today a gentleman who is a career foreign service officer, Andreas Kakouros. He became ambassador uh, of Cyprus to the United States in December of 2006. I suspect he spends more time in Washington than in Canada, where he also has uh, responsibilities. Um, he was ambassador to the Republic of uh, Cyprus to Ireland from 2002 to 2006. This is his third stay posting in the United States, um, and so he's a very astute observer of U.S. politics, uh, and perhaps he'll share some of his views on that carefully, as diplomats always do. Um, and uh, he, he had served as deputy chief of mission in Washington uh, as well. So indeed, it is a great privilege for us to welcome to Fort Worth His Excellency Ambassador Kukouris. Thank you, uh, thank you, Jim, um, and thank you, thank you all for uh, spending uh, your afternoon to, to, to listen to me. Uh, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be here, and I'd like to again thank Jim and, and, and Alison and everybody involved in in today's uh, event. Um, <clears throat> you're, you're right. This is my my third posting. Uh, in the States, and I was so astute that by the end of my first posting, I married an American. So, uh, <clears throat> in fact, I, I often say that I arrived on Valentine's Day 84 in New York uh, and left five years with two suitcases as a very, very junior officer, green behind the ears, and left five years later with a wife, a son, and a 40-foot container <laughs> to go back to, uh, to Cyprus. Uh, so America's been very good to me. Uh, in, in, in that respect, but it's, uh, it is an honor to serve your country at whatever rank and in whichever country uh, you're posted to. It is a particular uh, honor uh, to be asked by your president to come and serve as ambassador in Washington, D.C., um, and I'm very blessed with that opportunity of, of being uh, in Washington uh, at a very, very interesting time uh, as well with elections uh, in this country. We've just had uh, our elections uh, in February, and from the time that the polls closed, uh, the voting booths closed, to the time <clears throat> that we were able to declare uh, who had won the elections, uh, one and a quarter hours uh, passed. Uh, so, and there were no recounts. There were, you know, all the delegates were seated, whatever. But uh, it's it's a very uh, it's a very different uh, very different system <clears throat> in. We're a small island, obviously, 800,000 people. Um, and uh, before this uh, lunch, uh, I was talking uh, to, to a few people, and I, I started saying that wherever you go in the world, you will find a Cypriot. But if you make the cardinal mistake of asking more than three questions, you will find out that you're either related or you have common friends. Uh, that has happened to me uh, in America. And, and, uh, I'll digress slightly, uh, two occasions. One, I was at uh, Washington uh, International Airport seeing my former foreign minister off, and I hear, Andreas, and I'm with a State Department official now, and we're walking to, to, to the gate with my foreign minister, and I look behind, and there's this, this guy, and I walk up to him, and we embrace, and the State Department uh, official said, who was that? I said, that was my neighbor from Nicosia 10 years ago, <laughs> who was over in the States. He's a fireman. He was over in the States to participate in a program uh, that the, uh, the, the U.S. government had put on for training of firemen. So I, I mentioned that uh, to, just to indicate that there are very close relations uh, between Cyprus and the States. And uh, uh, secondly, I found out when I was... Uh, doing my master's. Uh, I did my master's in Canada, <clears throat> but I did my uh, thesis um, down at the University of South uh, Carolina in Columbia, where I was introduced to grits. 
Uh, <laughs> my first experience with grits was not the most pleasurable, but uh, I, they, have, they have grown on me uh, since then. <clears throat> um, but I found out when I was in Colombia that I had relatives in Charleston. Ch and, and this was a, I'll never forget this, looking through my book and I see um, my mum's handwriting with the name Jim Dimitri, Charleston, South Carolina. So I called up and I said, you don't know me, I don't know you, but somewhere we're, we're linked. So we went through the motions. Um, I said, where are you from? They said, well, I'm from the States. My mother's American, my father's from Cyprus. I said, ah, well, there's the link, question one. Uh, give me some more information. His father left in 1910, whatever it was, from Cyprus, never returned. And he told me he was from the Famagusta region. I said, that's where the link must be because that's where my family is, question two. And my third question was, do you know who the relatives of your uh, father were? He asked me to call back so he could rummage through some old documents. His father had passed away. And when I called back, he said, yes, uh, he was the eldest of, and he had these brothers and he started, and sisters, and he started naming the brothers and sisters, and he stopped. I said, that's it, there isn't another name on there. He goes, no, I said, there isn't Eleni. He said, no, there isn't. Uh, I said, and he said, do you know my father? I said, yes, your father and my grandmother were brothers and sisters. Oh. Uh, <clears throat> that is, uh, was, I was the first relative that he met. Uh, took the Greyhound from Columbia to Charleston, met him at the Greyhound station, slightly balding, a little bit rotund. He could have been any relative of mine from Cyprus, but that is, <laughs> I'm, I'm the lucky one. I ended up with the, uh, with, with, with the hair. Um, but uh, it, it is true, it's a small island uh, with a, a population that is almost as much abroad as we are uh, at home. And wherever you go in the world, you will find a, 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 a Cypriot. And uh, any person in Cyprus has a relative or a friend in the United States. And those links go back many, many, <clears throat> many, many years. Um, I was going through this, this little facts and figures that, that you have here. And actually, it's, 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 a, wonderful, it's a wonderful snapshot uh, of Cyprus. Uh, its size, Connecticut. That is how big or how small uh, we are as an island. But an island with uh, 10,000 years of history. Um, saying at the table that every Tom, Dick, and Harry has been in Cyprus. Uh, starting off from the Mycenaean Greeks, uh, the Aegeans, uh, the Romans. In fact, Cyprus was the first Roman uh, province, if that's the word to, to be used, where the proconsul, the Roman proconsul, uh, was Christianized. St. Paul and St. Barnabas in 45 AD, uh, on their first missionary, uh, went to Cyprus and converted um, the, the Roman proconsul. So there is a, a, a historical link there with, uh, with Christianity. Um, anywhere that you step on the island, you will find the, the footprint of, of history. Uh, you will go to Paphos on the, on the west, uh, southwest coast and find mosaics, which was, the colors of which are as vibrant today as they were thousands of years ago. Go 50 miles down the road and there's a Roman amphitheater overlooking the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Venetian walls, uh, Ottoman mosques, uh, British uh, colonial uh, uh, architecture as well. Uh, so everybody has been there. And sometimes geography is a curse and a boon. Uh, it's been a boon in the sense that we, we are a mosaic of cultures, you know, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, the curse is that everybody has wanted a piece of the action, uh, including, unfortunately, the situation today with, with Turkey since uh, 1974 and the invasion and, and occupation. But um, as I said, you have a, a small island, um, that's the size of about Connecticut, population approximately 800,000, uh, 700,000 of which are Greek Cypriot, and 100,000 uh, more or less a Turkish Cypriot. We have Armenian Cypriots and Maronite Cypriots uh, as well. So you see a symbiosis of various uh, cultures and religions uh, even there. And the one thing I can say about uh, Cyprus, especially in today's age where the word clash of civilizations and religion is used from a negative, uh, has a negative connotation to it. What is known as the Cyprus problem has never been a religious problem.
problem. It has never been a Muslim Turk versus the Orthodox uh, Greek. Um, Greek and Turkish Cypriots have coexisted on the island since the time of the Ottoman Empire. You would go to villages and find mosques next to uh, churches. Um, I'm not going to sugarcoat a situation and tell you that everything, as you would say in the States, was hunky-dory and that we didn't have our problems. Yes, we did. Uh, but we don't have a monopoly on that. Uh, and that sure doesn't justify uh, an invasion in 1974, nor does it justify a continued uh, occupation. And in fact, 1974 and what happened was the first time in our history where Greek and Turkish Cypriots have been divided along ethnic lines. If you look at a map of Cyprus before, you will see um, Greek and Turkish Cypriot villages dotted throughout the island, mixed towns, mixed villages. There wasn't one area where the Greeks lived and there wasn't one area where the Turks lived. Um, they were intermingled. So compare that to the former Czechoslovakia where the Czechs historically lived in one area and the Slovaks historically lived in, in another area. So when you had that velvet divorce, there was no emotional attachment of a Slovak uh, to the Czech area or vice versa. That isn't the case uh, in Cyprus. Turkish Cypriots lived in Paphos on the south coast. Uh, the Greek Cypriots, and my own family <coughs> being amongst those, lived uh, in what is today the northern occupied part of Cyprus. Uh, my own folks uh, come from two villages just outside of uh, Famagusta, which is, which is under occupation. So that was the first time in our history where we have been segregated along ethnic lines. Um, Tourism is the most important sector, of course, and uh, why wouldn't it be when you have uh, sun and sea uh, and heat uh, throughout the year? Uh, the easiest job in Cyprus is to be a weather forecaster because you will say day in, day out, and tomorrow the temperature will be dry, uh, warm, uh, very occasional high clouds, whatever. And you could say that and for 350 days a year. You're correct. I, I wish we had more rain, and in fact, drought is a major problem for us, and the government re recently announced, uh, in fact, earlier this week, measures where there would uh, be um, rationing uh, of about 30%. That is how dire uh, the, the water situation has been in Cyprus over the last, last few years. But tourism is, is uh, very important to us. Um, the majority of tourists coming from, from Europe, uh, the UK uh, predominantly. I would like to have more US uh, tourists to Cyprus. I think part of our problem is we don't have a direct flight. And I know that uh, the European notion of a holiday is normally a month, uh, whereas in, in the States, you're lucky if you get two weeks. Uh, so you want to get to where you want to get to uh, pretty, pretty quick. But I can assure you that if uh, archaeology, history, and culture is something that interests you, then there's no better place for it than going to Cyprus because you will have a snapshot of a whole myriad of cultures on that small, on that small little island. We do have our famous uh, Cypriots, uh, some of which uh, are listed here. But can I ask, is, are there any tennis players in this room or any fans of tennis? There's got to be one fan of tennis. Oh, there is. Well, there's the most famous Cypriot is Marcos Bagdadis, you know, uh, who's uh, done very well as a, as a tennis player. I was, uh, he reached the Australian Open a couple of years ago, and I was ambassador in Ireland at the time, and this, <clears throat> this friend of mine came up to me, he goes, you must be really happy. You know, he must be the first Cypriot tennis player that reached the Australian Open final. I said, you're right. He's the first Cypriot tennis player that reached the semi-final, the quarter-final, the fourth round, third round, second round. In fact, he's the only Cypriot tennis player that ever reached a, uh, a, 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 a tournament like that. So, uh, you know, we, we do have our, our, our famous uh, Cypriots dotted uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout the world. What I did want to speak to you uh, today was, apart from introducing you uh, to, this, uh, to this island and its history, and the problem that it uh, still faces today, uh, 30, nearly 34 years on since the, the Turkish invasion, uh, is to introduce you to, to an island that um, has a value added uh, in the world. Uh, a small island 
that is half an hour's flying time from what is the most important region in the world to the United States, the Middle East. Um, we're half an hour's flying time from Beirut, Damascus, and Tel Aviv. That is geographically how close Cyprus is to that region. <coughs> and I think um, a lot of you may recall in 2006 when there was the, um, the, the, the war in the Lebanon and 60,000 foreign nationals were evacuated from the Lebanon. They were evacuated to Cyprus, including 15,000 US citizens. Um, we did that because, in our view, we have a moral and an ethical obligation to help anybody and everybody <clears throat> that needs assistance. And these 60,000 foreign nationals needed to get out of, of, of Lebanon. And bang right in the middle of our summer, which is peak tourist season, we were able to, to bring them in and, and get them out of a very difficult uh, situation. Um, some of you may remember the, uh, the terrible uh, tragedies in the, uh, in the early 80s, in the Lebanese bombings when US uh, soldiers were, were killed and others were injured. It was again to Cyprus that they were evacuated and uh, medical attention was, was given to them. Um, uh, an issue that uh, I remember vividly when I was in Cyprus uh, in, in 2002, <clears throat> when you had 13 Palestinians that were in the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem and Israeli soldiers outside. Uh, and that was heading towards a firefight. It was <coughs> Cyprus that was able, through, because of its relations with the Israelis, the Palestinians and others, to defuse that situation and get those Palestinians out and then from there, other members of the European Union accepted, accepted them into their country. So I, I mention these not in any way to bloat uh, Cyprus's role in that part of the world. I mean, we, we do a lot of things under the radar screen, whether it's, it's track two diplomacy or training uh, Palestinian uh, policemen or policewoman. But um, I, I mention that as how Cyprus has a value added uh, to the United States. It has a value added to the European Union. And we're proud members of the European Union since May 1st, 2004. And uh, on, on a personal note, I was very honored to be Cyprus's ambassador when we joined. And Ireland had the presidency of the European Union. So the whole ceremony took place in Dublin. And to, and to be there with your president and your foreign minister and see that, uh, that flag being raised uh, simultaneously with the flags of what were then the other 24, plus Cyprus 25 uh, countries, being raised simultaneously. It didn't make any difference whether you were big UK, small Malta, uh, North Baltic countries, or um, Portugal, Spain. At that particular moment in time, I think the genius of the European Union, which is that these, this is a mosaic of cultures, a mosaic <coughs> of countries, was, was shown in its finest form. And, and like in any mosaic, you have big pieces and small pieces, but each piece is unique but an integral part of the overall mosaic. That is how I see Cyprus's role in the European Union. It is a small piece in that mosaic, but it's an integral part of that uh, mosaic. And we're very proud uh, to be a member of the European Union. It is probably the biggest, single, most important event that's happened to Cyprus since we gained our independence uh, from the Brits in, in 1960. And we were a British colony uh, up to then. Um, we adopted the euro at the beginning of, of this year, so we're fully immersed in the European, uh, European integration and the European project um, <clears throat> that, is moving, that is moving along. Um, very briefly, because I don't want to, uh, I don't want to, 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 to make this uh, discussion focus on, on the past, uh, but I want to, to look at where we're going uh, as well. The events of 1974, um, Turkey used uh, as a pretext to invade a coup that was instigated by the then Greek military junta uh, on the 15th of July 74, and they invaded uh, on the 20th of July uh, 74. Now, uh, an invasion and an occupation under international law uh, is illegal, full, full stop. Uh, so they are there illegally since then. The human tragedy that came about, apart from the segregation of the people, you had 
over 200,000 uh, Greek Cypriots who became refugees. At the time, the population was about 650,000. If I were to put it into US terms, it would be the equivalent of about 85, 90 million Americans becoming refugees in your own country. Everybody north of the Mason-Dixon line being forced south, not to be able to return to your home. Uh, in, its, in, in the place of these refugees, Ankara has brought over approximately 160,000 Turkish settlers to change the demographics of the island. So you have a situation today in the northern 37% of the island, uh, which is under occupation, um, where you have 160,000 Turkish settlers, 43,000 Turkish troops with latest US technology, uh, and only about 90 to 95,000 Turkish Cypriots. So the Turkish Cypriots themselves in the occupied part of Cyprus are a minority. And the interesting thing is, is that since 1974, we've had about 35 to 40,000 Turkish Cypriots that have actually left the area that Turkey, in inverted commas, is supposedly protecting them. Protecting them from who? I'm still trying to, uh, to find out. So Turkish Cypriots themselves are leaving that area, and you have a situation where there is a policy of bringing more and more indigenous Turks onto the island to change the demographic character of the island. There are still approximately uh, over 1,400 Cypriots who are missing since 74. Uh, many of them seen taken as prisoners by Turkey. Their fate unknown. This is a humanitarian issue. Every mother, wife, parent wants to know uh, the fate of their loved ones for closure. Um, we will not accept that these people are, are dead in the same way as the US does not accept that their MIAs are dead until they have proof of that. So you have humanitarian issues which are outstanding. Uh, sadly, uh, as well, when one sees uh, what has happened to churches, whether these are Greek Orthodox churches or, or churches of the Maronite uh, community or the Armenians, or even Jewish cemeteries, which have been desecrated by the occupation force, churches turned into stables, military dumps. And I don't think you need to be Greek Orthodox to be offended uh, by, by seeing uh, things like, uh, like this. Uh, my own uh, mother's uh, village, which is both my parents come from the occupied area, um, uh, her, the church in, in her village has been stripped of icons, uh, graffiti, um, the cemetery has been uh, uh, desecrated. And this is regrettably at the hands of a country that is seeking to join the European Union, uh, that, you know, that claims to be a, a country that is democratic enough to have a right at the table in the European Union. But these are all issues which, independent of the political situation and trying to find a solution, of the Cyprus problem should not happen. Desecration of, of churches or the, the destruction of the cultural and religious heritage. Because in the final analysis, you know, I, I'm very much a believer in the common heritage of mankind. So if you destroy part of Cyprus's history, you're destroying a part of the history of each and every one of you here. I don't have a monopoly on that culture. You know, that culture, uh, thankfully, has been able to grace uh, the world for thousands of years. Uh, we saw in Afghanistan what happened. We saw in Iraq uh, what happened. This is happening on the island of Cyprus uh, today, uh, as, as we speak, uh, in an area under the direct control of, of Turkey. There have been many, many efforts to, to try and find a solution to the Cyprus problem. And um, with what happened in 1974, and again, remember the, the population divide, approximately 82% uh, Greek Cypriots and approximately 18% Turkish Cypriots. We accepted, as, as early as 1975, the notion of a federation. Instead of a unitary state, which is what we were before, we agreed <coughs> to a federation. A federation where you would have, you know, if I use the analogy of, of the United States, you have Washington, D.C., which is the glue holding the country together. But you have your various states, Texas and Maryland, that have sufficient powers to, you know, to dictate their own way of life. But with, as I said, with that glue, 
being Washington when it comes to foreign policy and, and, and various other issues. So we accepted what is known as a bizonal, bicommunal federation. And that has been the template on which the international community, through the United Nations and umpteen Security Council resolutions, has striven to find the solution uh, of the Cyprus problem. A, a bizonal, bicommunal federation with a single sovereignty, a single international personality, a single citizenship with the withdrawal of all foreign forces. And our own position is that Cyprus should be totally demilitarized. Uh, the Turkish forces should leave. We have proposed that we disband our own National Guard. And I think every country has a sovereign right to have its own army uh, for, for self-defense. But we have stated that we would disband our own National Guard with the withdrawal of the Turkish forces. And in its place, you would have a UN peacekeeping force that would be there for the period needed until the trust that needs to be rebuilt and trust needs to be rebuilt between the two communities uh, is there. Um, I think also the biggest, um, the biggest umbrella and the biggest security umbrella for a Greek Cypriot and for a Turkish Cypriot is our accession to the European Union. Now, there's something bigger than a Cypriot today. It's called the EU. A Cypriot citizen is not just a Cypriot citizen. He or she is a citizen of the European Union. And I think you'd be intrigued to find out uh, that a Turkey, firstly, doesn't recognize Cyprus as a state. So for Turkey, I'm not the ambassador of Cyprus. Everybody else recognizes me as the ambassador of Cyprus, the, a country that has its seat at the United Nations. Uh, Turkey sees me as the Greek Cypriot representative. They're the only country that doesn't recognize the state. It's interesting. It's the only country that also recognizes the illegal entity that was declared in 1983 in the occupied area, the so-called Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, which the United Nations, uh, in its Security Council resolutions, condemned <coughs> as illegal and declared it null and void. And no country on earth except Turkey recognizes that entity. But I think y you would be uh, interested to, to, to know that Turkish Cypriots, on a daily basis, uh, come over to the government-controlled area to apply for their Cypriot passports. Why? Because with that Cypriot passport, a Turkish Cypriot today can travel to the UK to study. He can live in Germany or work in France like any other European Union citizen can. And they have that opportunity courtesy and by virtue of their Cypriot citizenship, not a Turkish occupation or a so-called Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus citizenship. But because Cyprus is a member of the European Union, Turkish Cypriots, like Greek Cypriots and any other Cypriot, enjoy the benefits of being part of that European Union uh, mosaic. The philosophy uh, put forth by uh, our friends in Ankara the Turkish side. And I say the Turkish side because any solution to the Cyprus problem uh, finds itself uh, handcuffed to Ankara. Ankara is the key to a solution. The if the Turkish Cypriots could unshackle themselves, if that's a correct word, uh, you know, unshackle themselves from Ankara, uh, then we stand a better chance of moving forward to a solution to the Cyprus problem. But Ankara is the one that holds the key because it has 43,000 troops there. And the Turkish Cypriot leadership uh, always has to do what Ankara says it should do. But the, the, the position that was always put over is that if the Greek and Turkish Cypriots get together, all hell will break loose, okay? The knives would be out, shootings would happen, etc. Uh, I was raised in London, where we have approximately 250,000 Cypriots you have a halal butcher, Turkish Cypriot halal butcher, next to the Greek Cypriot greengrocer. No problems. If you ask my father, who came from a mixed village, and you said to him, you can't live with, with Turkish Cypriots, he'd say to you, you're nuts. I was raised with them, I played with them, I got in trouble with them, I can. Um, since April 2003, when there was a partial lifting of the restrictions along the ceasefire line, and you have to sort of imagine this uh, to fully understand it, you go from 
west coast to east coast, and there is a, a dagger, a line that runs through Cyprus. The northern part is, is the occupied area. You have a UN buffer zone, and then you have the government-controlled area. In some areas of Nicosia, the capital, the UN buffer zone, which separates the government-controlled area from the, the, the occupied area, may be three times the length of this room. That is the close proximity of, of it. But in 2003, um, when for the first time since 1974, Greek and Turkish Cypriots were allowed to cross the divide. Turkish Cypriots had always been allowed by the government to come over, but their own leadership wouldn't leave them to come over because the whole effort was to have ethnic segregation. Um, since April 2003, we have had over 13 million incident-free <coughs> crossings. Not one incident between Greek and Turkish Cypriots. And I think that uh, is the clearest way of debunking the myth that as soon as the two see each other, you know, there's, there's trouble. Um, do we have hotheads on either side? Of course, I mean, I can go to certain areas of Washington or Florida or wherever. Uh, you go to a soccer match in, in Cyprus and you'll find, uh, yeah, you'll find it. But I think that uh, figure in itself uh, is the clearest message that the two communities can live together, have lived together in the past, and they now have something to look forward to, and that is a reunification of the island and the people within the European Union. And the European Union has an increasingly important role to play, because I think what it does is that it takes away the tug of the motherlands. You know, Greco-Turkish relations uh, have a history, and through history uh, it has been very easy to associate oneself with the motherlands, depending on what the relationship was at that time. But there is a Cypriot, whether he is Greek Cypriot, Turkish, Armenian, Maronite, or Latin. So there is this individual, this, this person that is called a Cypriot, that if uh, he or she is allowed uh, to breathe, uh, can show what, what they can do in a reunited Cyprus uh, where the island, the people, the social fabric, the institutions, the economy is reunited under that one umbrella, a bizonal, bicommunal federation within the European Union, uh, Cyprus can show its true colors and the role that it can play uh, in the region. In 2004, uh, there was an attempt to, to solve the Cyprus problem uh, called the Annan Plan, and, and Kofi Annan was the former Secretary General. Um, this was rejected, this plan was rejected by 76% of the Greek Cypriots when it went to, to referendum. And you might ask yourself, well, if you rejected it, then it means you don't want a solution. Well, I, I can tell you that the community that has suffered the most uh, because of the invasion and occupation wants a solution, and wants a solution now, not in 20 years' time. Why did the Greek Cypriots reject? And I'm not going to spend uh, the, the remainder of, of, of my time going, uh, going into the history, but I'll just give you three, four examples of why 76% of the people said no. They didn't say no to a solution. They said no to that particular plan. The plan allowed for the permanent presence of Turkish troops on the island. And I don't know anybody in this room that would sign a document that allowed foreign forces to be permanently stationed with your signature in the United States. The plan also allowed for the right of intervention by Turkey. And when Turkey in 1974 interpreted intervention to mean invasion and occupation, I think you can appreciate uh, not, too, uh, not too keen on that. Uh, Ronald Reagan used to say, trust and verify. I turn it on its head and say, verify and then trust. In that respect, uh, on, from a functionality point of view, on an island of 800,000 people, two central banks makes no sense. If I was to go and sell property and I went to the land registry office um, and the transfer of deeds was signed by the Greek Cypriot deputy director, that isn't good enough. It has to go to the Turkish Cypriot director or vice versa. So where's the trust that you're building as a Cypriot? You still have the notion of two separate uh, people. I think for, for many Cypriots, uh, the fact that 
the majority of refugees would not have been allowed to go back to their homes. Uh, you had a surreal situation where, let's say, a Greek Cypriot refugee that would not be allowed to go back to his or her home under this plan, who sought compensation for their property, the plan said that compensation would be paid by the community from which that individual comes from. So if you follow the argument, a Greek Cypriot refugee who has property in the Turkish-occupied part of Cyprus would be paid compensation by the Greek Cypriot constituent state in Turkey, which invaded occupied. Not a word. You know, these are some of the issues why the people said no. They didn't say no to a solution. They said no to this particular version of the plan. Unfortunately, the, the, the policy from Ankara um, has not been, and to, to, to be perfectly blunt, this effort was not an effort to solve the Cyprus problem, but in my view it was an effort to offload the Cyprus problem from the shoulders of Ankara. Ankara, if you remember the choreography as well, in 2004, December, was going to have its application examined by the European Union to join. What better way of taking one of the major issues off the table by presenting a plan that the Turkish military and the Turkish government were very happy with. They got everything that they, they wanted, permanent presence, uh, right of intervention, uh, in essence, ethnic cleansing in the sense of two segregated uh, communities. Um, so overnight, in a very, very strange way, the country that has been occupying Cyprus uh, was portrayed as the country that wanted a solution. And the community that has been under occupation was portrayed as the community that didn't want a solution. Well, uh, that's another myth that I'm happy to debunk uh, as well. Uh, Greek Cypriots do want a solution, but we don't want a solution for solution's sake. We don't want a solution that's made to measure to Ankara's needs. We want a solution that is made to measure to the needs of the Cypriots. Nobody else. And that is what uh, has been lacking. The policy of Ankara has been two states, two sovereignties, two peoples, which completely goes against the template that the international community has been working for since 1975. The one, I think, important uh, point that uh, we should know about Cyprus is uh, it hasn't been and has never been a religious issue. That is why we are very concerned when one hears President Gul of Turkey on his first visit abroad after becoming uh, president, uh, going to the occupied part of Cyprus and saying a solution must be based on two states, two sovereignties, two peoples, and for the first time, two religions. Now, religion was injected into the equation for the first time in September 2007. I think that is very dangerous. Uh, in one way, it is, um, uh, it's almost contradictory because this would be the same individual representing a country that would say to the European Union, you should not exclude me based on religion because the argument is that the European Union is a Christian club, okay, and Turkey, if it doesn't join, is being excluded because it is not Christian country. So you have this person, or this country, that tells the European Union not to exclude it based on religion, but who himself injects religion into the equation for a solution. And I think that is a very dangerous development, if allowed to, uh, to, to, to move. They've been very, very careful since then, because I think they've had their ear tugged by uh, certain countries that are saying this is not the way to move forward. We had elections in Cyprus in February. Uh, President Christofias was elected uh, with 53.5%. And, um, and immediately upon being elected, his first statement, his first speech, was to stretch out his hand to the Turkish Cypriot community and leadership and say, we need to get a solution for our sake, for the sake of the Cypriots and nobody else. Um, as a result of that, there was the first meeting between the president and the leader of the Turkish Cypriot community, Mr. Talat, on uh, March 21st, last week, where they agreed to open Leader Street, and I, I mentioned Leader Street, and I'll go into a little bit of uh, explanation about it, to open Leader Street as soon as technically feasible. Now, Leader Street is <coughs> our main road in Nicosia, the capital. 
it symbolized, and you walk down Leader Street, and you come to the military fortification of the government forces. You have a UN buffer zone where there are shops in that buffer zone with Japanese cars from 1974. The only difference between them is that now you have this much dust on them. And it's as if, you know, history has been uh, stopped. Um, so it was our main road, and it symbolizes a divided road, a divided capital, and a divided country. And we have been trying to open Luther <coughs> Street as another crossing point because of the symbolism that is associated with uh, Lidra. It was agreed that Lidra should open as soon as technically feasible, and I, just before coming here I read that the United Nations has started uh, sweeping the buffer zone for possible mines, uh, and then to make sure that the buildings are structurally safe. The last thing you want is for this to become a crossing point, and then for a, a building to, to fall. So that was one tangible decision taken. The second was the agreement that um, working groups and technical committees should start immediately. And there was an agreement reached in July 2006, brokered by the UN, which called for the establishment of working groups and technical committees to look into issues of substance and day-to-day -day issues. So that when we do get to the negotiations, we're not starting from a standstill position, that a lot of good hard work on key issues would have been discussed ahead of time. So the agreement said that these should be established and the representatives of the President and Mr. Talata meeting to try and decide how many and what they will discuss. And in three months, the President and the Turkish Cypriot leader will meet again to evaluate the progress made in these committees with a view to starting fully-fledged negotiations. So, you know, the, the, the election of President Christofias, I think like any change, any elections, uh, independ independent of the individual, uh, brings with it renewed hope. Uh, it brings with it, you know, the, um, a renewed engagement and an interest by the international community. And I think if the Turkish Cypriots in particular were allowed by Ankara to move forward, that we can get into negotiations, fully-fledged negotiations, soon. What we don't want to see, though, is a situation where artificial timetables are put. And uh, Ankara would want us to say that we want a solution, that a solution should be found by the end of 2008, or we need to look at alternatives. Now, believe you me, if I can find a solution on the 28th of March 2008, then I would have a solution on the 28th of March 2008. What we don't want to see, though, is a situation where we are pushed into a negotiating process that is massaged to fail, and then at the end of 2008, the question is, well, okay, this failed, what are the alternatives? Well, the alternatives that the Turkish side are putting forward are two separate states. So we need to be very, very careful about getting into a process that can be massaged to failure for then Ankara and others to be pushing for a separate state on Cyprus. There isn't. There's only one state, and that is the Republic of, uh, of Cyprus. Um, any solution needs to be negotiated by the two communities, not imposed from outside, that would then go to referendum. Uh, and if it is a solution that has been negotiated by the leadership of the two communities, it stands a very good chance of being, um, of being supported and accepted. So that is where we are today. There is light at the end of the tunnel, as they say. Uh, up to now, unfortunately, the light at the end of the tunnel was a train coming towards us, okay? And we hope that it's a totally different light that we have. Last point I want to make is EU-Turkey relations. Um, I think you can appreciate that it would have been easy for Cyprus to say no to Turkey joining the European Union. After all, it doesn't recognize Cyprus as a state. Um, it's occupying 37% of the island. But we took a different view. We took the view that a Europeanized Turkey is a positive development, firstly for Turkey, because it, because it will go through a democratization process needed of a country claiming to be a democracy in the 21st century that wants to join the EU. It is a positive for Cyprus because it presupposes the end of the occupation and a country that recognizes and engages in good neighborly relations. And it's important for the European Union because Turkey is an important country. 
as long as that is the Turkey that we're talking about. A Turkey that takes on board, applies and subscribes to the values and principles on which the European Union is based. Not a country that seeks to cherry pick what it likes about the EU and what it doesn't. The European Union is not NATO, it's not a military alliance. I said before, it's a, a mosaic of cultures where human rights, democracy, the rule of law and economic development is at the epicenter. So if this is the Turkey that we're talking about, we would be happy to embrace it into the European Union. I think that orientation of Turkey towards Europe is a positive development because we also hope that with this orientation towards Europe, we will be able to solve the Cyprus problem because there is no way Turkey will be able to join the EU whilst it's still occupying European Union land. And I, I can say that with a fair degree of, of certainty speaking on behalf of this government and any future government is, uh, as well. Um, but that, the ball is in Turkey's court. If it wants to move towards Europe, it needs to solve the Cyprus problem. It needs to withdraw its occupation forces from a sovereign country and to engage in good neighborly relations with Cyprus. Cyprus is one of 27 member states. It is not 26 and a half, it's 27. So there are a lot of things on the horizon which could move towards a solution to the Cyprus problem. Um, President Christofias has all the goodwill and determination to find a solution. We know that any solution involves compromise, and the biggest compromise has already been made by the Greek Cypriots, that we've accepted a federation rather than a unitary state. We know that not all the refugees will be able to go back uh, to their homes under <coughs> Greek Cypriot control the way it was before or whatever. Um, but there needs to be a solution that reunites the island, the people, and the social fabric if it's going to last. And I don't think Cyprus, against the backdrop of everything that's taking place in the world, whether it's Iraq, Afghanistan, Burundi, Rwanda, where there's blood being spilt on a daily basis, and thankfully in Cyprus we don't have that, the international community, and it's very easy for many to look at Cyprus and say, well, there may not be peace, but there's quiet. And in that framework, it's easy just to put it under the, the carpet and let sleeping dogs lie. In final analysis, what is Cyprus? Cyprus encapsulates those values and principles that this country holds dear. Rule of law, democracy, human rights. That's what we want to be reinstituted into Cyprus. To have a free country playing its role <coughs> in a very important part of the world. Again, thank you all for, for giving me the chance to speak to you uh, today and I'm happy to, to answer any questions as well. Thank you. I think we have time for two brief questions, and I'm going to ask for brief replies because we need to get you on the road for your editorial board. Mr. Orr. Our I'm wondering if the government of the Republic of Cyprus is still making approximately 40 seats available in your legislature for the northern edge of the country. Well, under the Constitution, Turkish Cypriots who withdrew from the running of uh, government and parliament in 1963 still have their seats. Still have the, the, those seats are unoccupied at the moment, but part, as part of the Constitution, they, they are available, absolutely. Yes. Um, when I was there about five years ago, uh, a friend of my family, the young, uh, there was a young uh, family member, Dimitri, was about, I guess he's 30 now. But he was going out at night, and his friends were Turkish, and there were groups of Cypriot and Turkish kids going out together. And I asked him, how do you get along? And he said, we don't have the animosity with each other that our parents had because of his age. He said he didn't remember, you know, 75, what it was. Uh, that was, he's either a baby or didn't remember. And he said they get along well. And he seemed to think, except for the mothers, but the mothers had their little demonstrations uh, for the memorial, like MIA, mm -hmm. and they had a, a big thing where they were giving out roses and loudspeakers, and they were, and uh, we went there to, to listen to them, and meet these women. Um, and Dimitri, he was telling me, he said, this, this, he, for him it was going to die down, he said, because of this time thing, and um, so I don't know, do you think there's any Look. mixture or tolerance that's being... Uh, oh, there is, I mean, th there is tolerance in, in one way, Time doesn't work in our favor, because with the passage of time, those Cypriots, Greek and Turkish Cypriots, who knew what it was like to live together, are passing away. You know, so you have one, two generations now, 
who have not known what it's like to live together. Now, we instill a lot of hope in the youth because they don't have some of the baggage that existed before. But the time passing on doesn't help, especially when you see what's going on in the occupied area with the settlers. They may not get their land back. Well, the land is, is one issue, but you know there's less and less Cypriots in the northern part of the island than there were before. You know, so the, 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 there is there is a potential there. Okay. If you keep these brief, both uh, will be able to just go right ahead. With yeah. the Turkish judiciary questioning the legitimacy of the Ghul <clears throat> party, is that how's that going to affect possible reunification? Well, look, any internal domestic situation in Turkey has more than a ripple effect uh, on, on Cyprus. Um, so at the moment, we're in a period where there's a lot of hope on the, on, on the part of the international community that we are able to move forward. If the situation in Turkey uh, changes, and one has to, when one talks about Turkey, which Turkey are we talking about? Are we talking about the deep state? Are we talking about the military? Are we talking about the government? Are we talking about you know the Atatürk sort of uh, um, elements of society. So there's more than one face to Turkey. The big difference is on Cyprus, they're all about the same. It's who's more nationalist than the, the, the other. And the primus into Paris is the military because all of the, by and large, the majority of the higher echelons of the Turkish military, those with the uh, things up here, all served in Cyprus from 1974 as part of the occupation forces. So they have an emotional attachment. And there is an old Ottoman adage as well, of what I win with the sword, I don't give up with the pen. You know, if that is the mentality that's prevailing uh, still in Ankara about finding a solution, that it has to be my way or, or no way, then regrettably we'll be having this conversation. But yes, anything that goes on in Turkey, okay, obviously has uh, a ripple effect on efforts for a solution. Allison, we have a special presentation, Your Excellency, on behalf of the city of Fort Worth and the World Affairs Council. Make you. Uh, yes, this is the city symbol of oh, Fort Worth. You. It's a longhorn called Molly, and so we'll present you with that. Thank you, Allison. For your time there we go. Today. Thank you. And take it off before you get to Dallas. <laughs> I, I have to wear two pens, you know. I've switched back and forth. Your Excellency, thank you very much. I wish we had French. I wish we had more time, but the ambassador <coughs> is on an extremely tight What's schedule. What time do you have to be at the next one? You need to be. You need to be gone. Yes, sir. Yeah. Really good. Thank you all very much. For more information about the World Affairs Council of Dallas Fort Worth, visit them on the web at www.dfwworld.org.